Joshua chapter 1, and I want to read uh, beginning in verse number 1, a familiar passage this morning. How many of you have a few more finals to take? Let me see your hands. All right. And uh, today and tomorrow, right, Dr. Getch, will finish up and uh, be steadfast, unmovable, and uh, you're going to do just great. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing God bless our graduates. We have graduation practice, 7.30 Monday morning, right, Brother Getch, 7.30, and uh, graduates be there uh, ready to go. There'll be some graduates that uh, finish their work in December. Some of our online graduates will come. Again, welcome them. They're becoming a part of our college family. Maybe they're already a pastor, and they're going to walk with you. But let's remember to just be kind of looking around uh, these next four or five days to help others. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou shalt that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the culmination of a great year, a different year, but what a great year. What a great year to prepare missionaries and uh, to realize that sometimes the ministry is not convenient. And may our students always look back on this year and say, God brought me through that. He can take me through the next year as well. Bless this moment of time in chapel. Help me to be a blessing to our students, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was saved in 1972 in San Jose, California. My father was a pastor, and we were having the Lord's table, and he was explaining that the Lord's table is for those who know the Lord, and for those who've been obedient to the Lord in baptism are a part of the local New Testament Baptist church. We call such discussions church polity. How does a church operate? And the churches I grew up in operated in such a fashion that uh, you did not just let any visitor partake of the Lord's table. Uh, lest they might be unsaved, or maybe their home pastor would not prefer that they do such. And you certainly would not have someone partake of the Lord's table if they were not sure that they were saved or if they'd not yet been baptized. 
uh, we believed in a uh, closed local church table. That's the way I was raised. That's the way most Baptist churches historically have operated their church polity. I believe it helps the church. I believe it uh, respects uh, the pastor of the guest that might be there, that I would not usurp their authority. But most importantly with this type of Lord's table is the fact that you very clearly explain when you have the Lord's table that if you're not sure you're saved, you should not partake of the Lord's table. We certainly would never believe in an open table just for whoever's there because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible tells us that the book was written to the church at Corinth. It is a local church observance. By the way, every church has authority to administer the table according to their dictates and leadership of that church. And so it was being explained. I realized that night that I had never been truly saved. When the wafer and the cup came by because of the instructions given so clearly, I did not partake of the Lord's table. I happened to be seated on the front row uh, that particular night because the Sunday night before, I was running around the corner of a church. I ran right into a lady named Mrs. Bentley and almost knocked her completely down to the ground. Uh, my parents felt it would be wise then for me uh, to be in closer proximity to them. And so seated on the front row, my father was able to notice that I did not partake of the Lord's table. That night when we got home, I heard a loud call from my parents' bedroom. Paul, come down here. We need to talk to you. I thought maybe I was in trouble again. I was thinking, what did I do tonight? I didn't knock Mrs. Bentley down. That was last week. I was trying to figure it out. And when I got to my parents' room, they said, why did you not partake of the Lord's table tonight? And I said, well, you said that this is for those who knew the Lord as their Savior and had been baptized in believer's baptism. And I just can't remember ever being saved. And on that night, April the 5th, 1972, I called out to the Lord and told him that I knew I was a sinner. And I asked him if he would be my Savior. And I'm so glad that on that night, though I didn't understand all the ramifications of being born again, that I simply believed what the Bible said, and God in his grace saved me through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, after I got saved, I wanted to learn more and more about the Lord, and I wanted to be more and more around God's people, teen camps. Uh, I wanted to be around preaching. I have a Bible up in my office with so many of the signatures of the preachers that came by our church when I was a young boy. And that was back maybe during a little different era, but I remember missionaries like Dr. Jack Baskin. He signed my Bible. I remember Dr. B. Myron Cedarholm signing my Bible. Dr. Monroe Parker, Dr. Jack Hiles. I remember uh, Dr. B.R. Lakin, Dr. Jerry Falwell. So many men that would come by, missionaries, pastors, evangelists, uh, that would come by and preach for us. And I would ask them if they would sign my Bible. And I'd, I'd, look at their, uh, I'd look at their verse that they wrote, and I'd go home, and I'd open it. I'd try to understand. wonder why that verse means so much to them. And it was a great time, really, uh, being an independent Baptist, growing up in this church church in San Jose, California, hearing these great men of God. There were churches starting bus ministries. There were churches having revival meetings. Churches were growing. Dr. Getz would remember that era. It was an era of great excitement. And then as I came into the ministry, I began to look around. And I remember talking to Dr. Getz when we were starting West Coast Baptist College about why we felt the burden for the college. Because suddenly these great men of God, they were dying and going to heaven. Suddenly, 
uh, we were seeing a trend, and it continues to this day, of pastors that are either dying or retiring. Every day a church calls my office. Just yesterday I got one. I sent it to Dr. Getch, a dear pastor up in Canada. He says, I've pastored this church, I think he said, for the third time. He said, I'm getting up into years. He said, the last pastor didn't stay. He said, is there anyone at West Coast that would like to come and be our preacher here? Every day we receive calls like this. And as I think about the great need of the hour, I'm convinced that many of you don't sense it yet. You don't understand the great opportunity and the great need from city to city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some young men, and perhaps in this room, still pondering, do I even really want to be in ministry? And not yet getting a vision for the hundreds of millions, and yea, billions of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Joshua 1 and verse 1, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass, the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Oh, I want you to think about this. Joshua chapter 1 shows us the nation of Israel at a crossroads. Would they follow the man of God and go on into the promised land? Or would they make another golden calf and dance naked around the golden calf? Uh, would they go on and have revival? Or would they just have some ecumenical kind of a dance service? This was really where they were. Would they backslide or would they go ahead? God always wants his people to go forward. He wants his church to advance. He wants to see people claiming the promises of his word. And we see that God chooses a man for this hour by the name of Joshua. The Bible says in Psalm 75 and verse 6, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. I'm not an advocate of trying to set yourself up. I see people do that all the time. I see people that brag about themselves. I see people that try to draw attention to themselves. And uh, I, I receive letters and such things of, of people trying to promote themselves. And there's a fine line, I know, letting people know you're available. I, I see so much of social media today, it seems to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, and this type of thing. Let me remind you of something, students. It is God that sets up a leader. And God is choosing Joshua. And just as, as sure as God chose Joshua, God has an assignment for you. You don't have to promote yourself for it. You don't have to uh, try to draw attention to yourself. Just recognize that when you are faithful to the Lord, he's going to see where you are and opportunities are going to come your way. I want to just take a moment or two to share with you why I believe God chose Joshua. How many of you want God to use your life in some way? How many of you want God to use you? I want God to use my life. Why did God choose Joshua? Do you ever wonder about that? Why does God use this person or that person? Let me give you a few quick thoughts for those that want God to use you this summer. Notice, first of all, Joshua's preparation. Joshua was a man that had been uniquely prepared. He was a man, as we read the scriptures, that was proven in battle. He was someone that was faithful in battle. Exodus 17 and verse 8, the Bible says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go fight and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand in the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. And the Bible says in Exodus 17, 13, and Joshua discomfited Amalek 
and his people with the edge of the sword. I like that word, discomfited. That means Joshua cut them all to pieces. Joshua won the battle over the Amalekites. He was faithful in the small battles. That's why God was going to put him in charge for the big battles. Let me tell you something. Your bus route counts. Your soul winning counts. Your dorm supervisory responsibilities count. Uh, Every one of you this summer need to get back to your home church and you need to say to your pastor, pastor, I'm reporting for duty. What type of ministry would you like me to be involved in this summer? I see so many Bible college students. It's their chance to get their hair just a little lower down on their eyes, just a little over their ears. It's their chance to sneak off and do this or do that. Sometimes Bible college students uh, spend the summer wasting their days away. Let me encourage you to fight some battles and to be faithful in some area of ministry this summer. God will bless you. Oh, I'll tell you what, after I got saved, I wanted to be a soul winner. I wanted to learn how to win souls. I was a bus captain at age 12. My bus averaged 72 riders every single week during that spring. When I was a student in Bible college, every weekend I wanted to go out somewhere and help a preacher or be a preacher or do something in the work of God. And I'm telling you, Joshua was chosen because Joshua had been preparing a faith that is not worth testing, is not worth trusting. And his faith had been tested with the Amalekites. And I believe because of that, that God reached down and God chose him for the battle. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Lay hands suddenly on no man. In other words, Joshua was someone that God had been watching. Joshua was someone that had been faithful in the battles. I was telling my class the other day, it's very common uh, that a a church will call us here and say, uh, we're looking at a man that went to West Coast. How was his uh, attitude? How how was he in the ministry? Did he have a heart for souls? Uh, Did he, uh, was he faithful? It's it's not uncommon at all. They want to know. And and I'm saying how you're living your life while you're in college, how you live your life this summer, it does matter. Your church is watching. Teenagers are watching. But more than that, there's a God in heaven who's watching your testimony this summer. Here was a man, Joshua. He was proven in battle. I want you to see, secondly, he was proven as a servant. I want you to see he was a proven servant. And you see it right away, don't you, in verse 1? Moses minister, Moses my servant is dead. We see here that Joshua was called the minister of Moses. The Bible tells us of our Savior, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Dr. Curtis Hudson, the great uh, preacher and mentor in my life, often said, the measure of a man's greatness is not how many people serve him, but how many people he serves. Joshua was a man who was known as a servant. Philippians chapter two and verse five tells us, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Let me encourage you this summer, find some way to serve. I'm not, look at, I'm not being silly when I say this. Uh, perhaps uh, you can be a servant uh, in your home to your mother or your father. Perhaps you can be a servant to your home pastor. How many of you are going to be in your home church this summer? Let me see where you are. Those of you in your home church, maybe some of you ladies could say, Pastor, could I clean your office for you? Pastor, uh, some of you young men, can I wash your car for you? I've got a bucket here. I've got some soap out here. Can I wash your car? Just I want to be a blessing to you as the man of God. You know that many people make fun of that. They call it being a kiss up. The Bible calls it being a servant. 
Pastor, is there something I could do around the church? Every one of you going to your home church, don't do what I've seen. I've had uh, students come back to our church from different Christian, non-denominational type sec- uh, where they're getting liberal arts training. They'll come back, ver- barely say hi, and uh, I won't name the names of the places they come from. I wonder if their presidents say what I'm telling you right now. They don't get in a ministry all summer. They don't go soul winning all summer. Listen, West Coast Baptist College students ought to go home, look their pastor in the eye, let them know you got through a year of college to the glory of God, and ask, how can I serve? Maybe you can serve in the nursery. Maybe you can serve in the Sunday school. Maybe there's a rest home where you can preach. But I'm saying, look for the opportunity now, and pastor will help you get plugged in and find a place to serve God in the ministry. Joshua was a man with a servant's heart. The Bible tells us that he was prepared through serving. And also, I want you to know he was a patient man. Students, sometimes we need patience. Some of you ought to jot this down. Sometimes when you're finishing up that sophomore year and you're looking at the junior year, it's like, man, I got a ways to go. This is taking a while. Can I encourage you students today? Be patient. God's going to get you through. I know sometimes seems like a while, but there's a process and you don't want to rush, rush the process. The Bible says in Exodus 24, 18, and Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. And in Exodus 32, the Bible says, and Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both sides, the one on side and, 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 and on the other, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Listen. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is noise of the war in camp. Now, you know the story. Moses was getting the law from God, 40 days on the mount. You also know the noise in the camp were people that had given themselves to idolatry. Listen, while the leader was gone, they became naked and started dancing around in golden calf. Don't tell me that people don't need spiritual leadership today. And yet I want you to see something here. 40 days and 40 nights, Joshua was still at the bottom of the mountain waiting for the man of God, waiting patiently for the man of God. Sometimes you'll wonder, why does pastor take so long to make that decision? Why is it that we don't start this? Or why is it that he doesn't do this? Or why don't they change this rule or that rule? Let me tell you something. Patience is still a virtue. And I thank God for men like Joshua who waited on Moses, waited faithfully on Moses. The Bible says in Psalm 27 and verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Joshua was proven in battle. Joshua was prepared by serving. Joshua was patient in waiting. And let me say this, Joshua had a pure vision. Joshua saw things that others did not see. You know the story. In Numbers 13, the Bible says that there were men who were sent to spy out the land. And these men went into the land in Numbers 13, and they began to spy out that promised land. And there were two men, Joshua and Caleb. You remember them. And they saw the land, and yes, they saw the giants. Yes, they saw the adversity. But they said, our God is able to deliver us. In other words, the bigger the giants, the harder they're going to fall because our God is able. In Numbers 14, turn there if you would for just a moment. Numbers 14 and verse 6. Just to take a quick look at Joshua's faith. They give a great report, Joshua and Caleb. They're ready to go into the promised land. 
And in Joshua chapter 14 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. You can read the rest of the story. Here was a man whose vision, listen, was not going to be diminished by some that were around complaining, by some that were saying it can't be done. And you're gonna hear people say, well, you can't build a church, you can't have a soul-winning church that's conservative, or if you have a church that has conservative music, or uh, the pastor preaches from the old King James Bible, it just doesn't work that way anymore, and soul-winning doesn't work. Let me tell you something about soul-winning. It won't work every time you don't go. And there are people that will say, it won't work, we can't do it. And that's what they said to Joshua and Caleb. But Joshua and Caleb very clearly in the text, notice that in verse number eight, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land. Let's say that together. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land. One more time. If the, then he will bring us into the land. When I came here in 1986, we had 12 people our first Sunday that voted us in to be the pastor. I didn't have any money uh, for anything really, uh, but I knew I needed some gospel tracks. The pastor that I had worked for, I don't think he meant this unkind. Uh, when I came here, he said, don't use our printer, don't use our suppliers, don't call our people, don't, I, I want you to cut it off. With Facebook these days, it's a different world, really. But I, I uh, obeyed his request. Uh, I didn't contact the people there, I didn't try to call the vendors there. And, uh, and what it did, it forced me to have to win some of my own people to the Lord and to establish relationships with some businesses. Uh, and so uh, I remember going to a printer over here uh, in downtown Lancaster, and it was the Heart Print Shop. And I walked in and I said, sir, uh, my name's Paul Chapel, and I'm the new pastor of the Lancaster Baptist Church. And I said, uh, I, I know you don't know me, but I saw that it said print shop outside and we need to have some tracks for our church, some brochures. And I said, I don't have any money, sir, but if you would print 5,000 for me, I give you my word that in 30 days I'll come and pay the bill. I didn't know what else to say. I just by faith said that to him. I didn't have a computer. We didn't have a website. I didn't have anything. I just had a yellow pad and I wrote out what I wanted on the brochure, and I wrote out Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10 on one side. On the other side, I wrote out some things about our church, and I wrote on the track, I wrote, exciting Sunday school, vibrant music ministry, active teen department. I wrote that on the track, and I put that down there. And so he kind of looked at me, scratched his head, and by the grace of God, he printed all 5,000. I began to go out knocking on doors. I knocked about four or 500 doors every week, and that's how we kind of got the church going. Well, periodically, I'd go to a preacher's meeting, and uh, I was trying to raise support. We were not on any salary here. I was really a church planter. And so I'd go to some meetings to try to present the work, maybe raise some support. And I'll never forget uh, being at one of those meetings and there were a couple preachers over in the corner. They had my gospel track, and they were looking at it, and they were laughing at it. And uh, the first thought I had was, maybe I misspelled a word. I don't know. Maybe there's a mistake in that track. 
I wondered why they were laughing. So I went over. I said, what are you guys laughing at? And they said, Brother Chapel, look at this track. They said, you put in here that you have an exciting Sunday school. You have 12 people. How can you say you have an exciting Sunday school? I said, well, my wife teaches the children. She's excited about it. We have an exciting Sunday school. They said, well, you put in here that you have vibrant music ministry. You don't even have a choir. You don't even have a penis. I said, no, but I lead the singing and I'm vibrant. So we have a vibrant music ministry. They said, you put in this track here that, that you have an active youth ministry. You don't even have a, mu- a, a youth director. I said, wrong again. I'm the youth director. We had three teenagers last Friday. One of them was hyperactive. We have an active youth ministry. <laughs> they kind of laughed me off. I wish those men would have been here last Sunday. I wish they could have heard the voices of the choir, not as big as it's going to get, but maybe 120, 130 uh, singing in the orchestra, vibrant music. I wish they could have walked around all the Sunday school classes, 8, 30, 10, uh, Wednesday night. I wish they could have seen hundreds and hundreds of children as they heard the Word of God. I wish they could have visited over at the hangar last night and seen as I saw several hundred teenagers, Christian school, public school teenagers, hearing the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Where does that begin? It begins with the man who believes that there is a God in heaven who will do what he says he said he would do. And we see here in Joshua's life, God said they could go into the land. He wasn't going to doubt it. He was going to claim it. And some of you need to claim God's promises. Some of you uh, graduates need to say, if God says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, I'm going to do exactly what God has told me to do and trust him to bring the fruit. I'm just saying to you this morning, Joshua was a man prepared of God and God used Joshua because of that preparation. You're not wasting your time in Bible college. You're not wasting your time to serve in ministry. You're not wasting your time when trials come. Through it all, as you battle, even at this time in your life, God is preparing you. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only Joshua's preparation, but secondly, Joshua's purpose. Very quickly, notice it in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land, which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel." Now, Joshua's purpose was to lead the people of God. He was to lead the people of God into the promises of God. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10 tells us, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan, to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Now, men, look right here. There are churches all over America running 12 and 17 and 20. They've had a tough time, some of them. They've had pastoral turnover. Some of them are thinking about selling their buildings. A church called me just yesterday about that. They're just hoping that there might be a man with a vision to paint the buildings and with a vision to knock some doors and with a vision to have a revival meeting and to preach through the gospel of John and and to have a seniors fellowship and to have a youth activity. They're just waiting for some of you to believe that God could use you and to help them 
Oh, when I came to this church, I was a young man. I didn't know everything about the ministry. I just knew that God was bringing me to a people that voted unanimously 12 to 0 for a leader to come and show them the way. And I believe there's a church waiting for some of you. There's a mission field waiting for some of you. There's an opportunity if you would just realize God has a purpose for your life. There were seven nations of the Canaanites that needed to be uh, completely defeated. There would be walls that would would come down. Uh, there would be victories that would be had by this man, Joshua, because he was willing to trust the Lord. And so he was to lead the people. May I say, secondly, he was to help them find their new location. It was about leadership. It was about location. Notice verse four, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. This is always amazing to study. For those of you that like to study Bible lands, this, this description in verse four is about 300,000 square miles. And the fact is that Israel never really obtained more than about 10% of what God had promised them. I think about many churches today that never reach their potential. They never have the faith to see God use them in the way that he could. And, and God wanted Joshua to help them to claim the land. And he wants us to claim our land and to claim this country for his name's sake. And the Bible still says to us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And there are lands that need to be claimed even to this day. I was having dinner last night with missionary Stephen Benefield doing such a great job in Cambodia. Thank God for men like that that are claiming a land that so desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying there's a church somewhere for you. There's a land somewhere for you. There's a people somewhere for you. And God wants to use you to make a difference in their life, to lead them on to greater things. If you'll be like Joshua and have a servant's heart. If you'll be like Joshua and have a vision to believe God. God. Oh, here we see the mission was very, very clear. Joshua had a purpose. God has a purpose for your life as well. But notice finally, not only Joshua's preparation, not only Joshua's purpose, but would you notice with me right now Joshua's provision? You know, one of the things I love about serving the Lord is that with God's calling comes God's enabling. Let's say that together. With God's calling, a little bit louder, with God's now you're starting to see that. Where's the senior stand, seniors, if you would? Where are you at? How many of you seniors had a time these last four years when you wondered how the bill was going to get paid? Let me see. Be honest about it, right? Sure you did. How many of you had a time when you wondered if you were ever going to walk? Let me see. You wondered about that. You know what you're learning? With God's calling comes God's enabling. With God's calling comes God's enabling. Oh, we serve a faithful God, students. We serve a faithful God. And I want to testify to you as a pastor of 35 years in this same place, through the uptimes, through the downtimes, uh, through, through earthquakes and COVIDs and, and uh, through big days and not so big days, through times when people were happy and times when people were ugly, through it all, God is faithful. He's a faithful God. And he will provide every step of the way. Thank you. You may be seated. Notice how he provided for Joshua. Notice in verse 5, God's presence is provided. The Bible says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee 
all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Can I tell you something about the ministry? Sometimes you get thrust into situations where you're not real comfortable. Um, I, I think about this weekend, uh, these services, the reason I was asking to pray for me. Uh, it's okay if college president asks an 18-year-old to pray for him, isn't it? You know why? Because without the presence of God, I'm going to fail Sunday. And I would not ask you to pray for me if I was not praying for myself. But there's times when you sense and, and feel that it's almost as if it's you and the Lord alone standing there, and that without him, you could never stand. I was speaking to our city council Tuesday evening about a matter of which I strongly disagree. I wrote a letter. Some of you can see it on my blog, if you subscribe to my blog. I wrote a letter very strongly disagreeing with something they want to do. I spoke to the council meeting, and I told my wife this, and, and many people know that some of the folks on that council are friends of mine, not close personal friends. My close personal friends are independent fundamental Baptists, but I have friends in different places that for the sake of the ministry, you get to know people. And I said to Mrs. Chapel, I said, honey, I'm about to write this letter now, and I'm going to put it on my blog, and I'm going to mail it to the city council, and I'm going to mail it to the newspaper. I said, I may not have one friend on that council when this is done, but I'm going to do what God told me to do. There will come days in your life, some of you that already, before you even leave this year, you're already on the wrong websites, you're already looking at the wrong things, you're already enamored with progressive philosophies that are going to pull you completely to a road of non-productivity and a lack of identity. And it's all because you're afraid to just stand with you and God alone. You think you need an image. You think you need a certain other relationships. What you need in your life is a real relationship with God. I think about Sunday. I, th I think about many of the guests that we've invited, many of them. My job is to bring them in here to tell them, you are a sinner. That's my job. That's what I do for a living. You are going to hell without Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ is the only way. There's not a lot of other ways. Jesus is the only way. How many of you understand that's what my job is? How many of you realize without God working in this heart, there's no way that I can have any measure of success? And I'm telling you, we must not depend on the arm of the flesh. We must not depend on uh, how we can get a cool vibe and a cool light show and a cool this and a cool that and, 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 and how can we be so funny? I may use some humor Sunday, but I must not rely upon humor. I must rely upon God. Do you see that in verse five, what it says? God says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. To Moses, God said, now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth. To Joshua, God said, go, and I will be with thee. To Jeremiah, God said, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord. And to us, God says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am what? With you always. Say it, with you always always. You see, some of you are going to perhaps go to a place where there's just not a lot of cool churches 
maybe no churches at all, you and the Lord, you need to know before you leave this campus in a few days that you and the Lord are enough and that you will trust in him and that he will be enough for you. God's presence. Notice the second gift that is given as a provision. God's preserved word. God's preserved word. Notice in verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The book of the law. I thank the Lord for the way the book of the law was kept throughout the Old Testament. Kept in the Ark of the Covenant with Aaron's rod that budded. Copied so meticulously and carefully through the years. I thank the Lord for the text and for the received text that uh, was guided along, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. I do not believe the King James translators were inspired, but I believe that God has kept a book for the English-speaking people and that we have great confidence in the Word of God in the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm just saying to you, I'm thankful that when I stand up to preach on Sunday morning, that I know that the God of heaven resides within me and that the Word of that God God is in my hand, and that when I stand up and preach the powerful Word of God, that it will make a difference in people's lives. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot nor one tittle shall in no wise pass from this law, till all be fulfilled. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I remember going out soul winning with my wife one time, and it was uh, a Saturday morning, and we knocked on someone's door, and we were so desiring to see a guest come to church, see somebody get saved, and, and they said, well, come on into our house. And we thought, well, this is a good sign. They're asking us into their house. And after a little while, we could tell that they were Jehovah Witnesses, and they were going to try to convert us. Well, when I figured that out, the Bible study got a little more intense, and we went over to John. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily from Colossians, and we went to John. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. We went to Hebrews chapter 1, where Jesus Christ is referred to as God, and we began to go to all these passages and just really defending the deity of Jesus Christ. And finally, the man stood up in his living room. He said, what Bible are you using? And I said, I'm using the King James Version. And he said, I hate that Bible. And he wanted to use, I think his, whatever theirs is, world translation. Can I just tell you something? This old book was good enough for so many preachers that helped me. It's good enough for me today. And I'm so thankful that I have a preserved word. And don't you love the fact that God could say to Joshua, Joshua, listen, I want you to take my word, the book of the law, don't let it depart out of your mouth, but meditate it in it day and night. Now listen right here, students. That thou mayest observe to do all that is in therein. Would you say this with me? That thou mayest See, it's not enough to simply meditate in it. God says, I want you to observe my word so that you can live my word. So many people, they know these doctrines. They want to argue about these different things. But God says, that's not the reason I gave it to you. I gave it to you so that you'll live it out in your life. I'm praying that God will raise up some Joshuas and some Mrs. Joshuas from West Coast Baptist College. 
I'm praying that God will use you to lead some people and to claim some land. Why did God choose Joshua? I believe God chose Joshua because he was uniquely prepared as a servant and as a warrior. I believe God chose Joshua because he saw things that others did not see, like Daniel of old who said, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Joshua saw what God could do. And I believe God used Joshua because Joshua knew that God was enough and that his word was enough and that with God and the word of God, anything is possible if we will trust him every step of the way.